0: Well, good morning. This is the time where we focus on God's Word. I'm going to be preaching the Word from Exodus as we continue our series. Uh, But first, just a little bit of accountability. Since you helped me in international teaching ministry, just uh, to tell you where I've been in the last, uh, I guess, the last 10 days or so. It started with Knoxville, which is our sister church just up the road. And that was uh, a midweek I was so encouraged to see all the seekers who came along, even though it was simply a global presentation before their missions collection. I was able to go back to Rutgers University, where I'd spoken uh, more years ago than I even realized. And this was, it, it was an interesting thing. A fellow came up to me and he said, do you remember me? I drove you. I was your driver when you were here 32 years ago. And all I could think of was not him or remembering him. It was. 32 years ago? I am old. Okay. <laughs> I had a chance to come back to Princeton as well. Uh, several of our members have actually graduated from Princeton and Rutgers, and that was really fun uh, speaking on science and faith. And what I really love, I mean, I love to do the presentations, but it's the question times. It's those, those atheists, those agnostics, those seekers who want to talk. Um, in New Brunswick talked on modern culture, and they wanted the very similar talk in the next city I was in, which was Charleston, South Carolina. But in the morning, I preached from a kind of an Old Testament slash New Testament uh, message, um, and in the evening, we talked about culture. Great feel in the Charleston church, sister church, great family feel, very worshipful. And then... I almost didn't go up. I had my layover in Atlanta. You see, uh, Knoxville and Charleston are not international airport hubs. So on this funny trip, I was at Atlanta airport five times. Three of them were layovers in my own town. So I was tempted to get off but, um, and, and just come home because this blizzards coming and my flight was being canceled for the next day. But I thought I'd go anyway and I needed to because we were recording a message and uh, I was visiting a couple of special friends too And it was an incredible 25 inches of snow, lots of fun. I stayed with an old friend from Duke University uh, who lives in that neighborhood there. Uh, So happy to be back. And then yesterday we had a session of AIM ASOM, that is Athens Institute Atlanta School of Missions on how to be better students of the Bible so that we can preach and teach and share more effectively. So that's where I've been. It's kind of the, um, the burgundy color over there. It's been a busy week. Happy to come and preach the word today in the Exodus series. This is called Passover part one. That was the very catchy title that the series designer came up with. Thank you, Jeff, I like that. I suppose next week is Passover part two. No, I I could have renamed it, but it is Passover part one, and Tom will be completing this next week. If I mess up in any way, he can clarify. In Exodus, in chapter 11, The 10th plague is announced. I know we've had some sermons that have talked about the plagues, but the 10th plague is the heaviest of one, and that's the death of the firstborn. Chapter 12 is where we find Passover. It's one of those index chapters, kind of like Exodus 14 with going through the Sea of Reeds. But you may wonder, is there any historical evidence? This guy, Ramses II, lived about 90 years. And... Probably the plurality of Old Testament scholars believe he is the pharaoh of the exodus. I think that's, a, that's quite likely. Ramses II called Ramses the Great. Now, if he was the pharaoh of the exodus, then he would have lost his firstborn son. And interestingly, in the record, he, it mentions his firstborn son, then it doesn't mention him. He just vanishes from the picture. And Ramses lives so long, he outlives his next 11 sons. And it's his 13th son who becomes the next Pharaoh. He had 52 sons, more than 100 children. Uh, that's what he looks like now. Um, <laughs> He's a little bit more glorious back then. And this is the, the next Pharaoh. So there is some evidence for uh, the plague. Um, how conclusive is it? It's a little tricky, but I think it's a pretty good case. Also, the plague before the ninth plague was the plague of hail. And that reminded me of something in Australia, uh, which we used to live in and be very connected with, but there was a midweek service, and there was a bad hail storm. Now, as it turns out, the church met in a facility that had an underground parking lot. The parking garage was totally protected. So what happened, you know, in the ninth plague, the hail kind of wiped out the crops, at least a lot of the crops for the Egyptians, and uh, the Hebrews were wiser, and God protected them. On that night, anyone who didn't go to midweek, because they parked their cars out on the drive, you know, uh, their cars got pounded with hail and nicked. So the point is that you should go to midweek. <laughs> That's not really the point, but the ninth hail is the, hail of, the plague of hail. The tenth plague is the death of the firstborn, and then... Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of, it kind of goes back and forth. 12.43 takes us back to Passover. Then we have that extra one-day celebration in chapter 13. So Passover is really eight days. And, of course, they're, they're, they're going to get out of Egypt. They're going to walk through the sea. Now, I want to focus on uh, verse 11, but just to kind of get the setting, let's read a little bit. We read this. Yahweh said to Moses, if you're new to the church, Yahweh is what it says in the Bible, often rendered L-O-R-D in capital letters. Yahweh said to Moses and Aaron, in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Just an aside, that meant that the Jews were supposed to recalibrate their year not following the general custom of the Babylonians that started in September, or the Egyptians who started around July after the Nile flood, but started in the springtime, um, around April. So they have that, uh, he says basically, you're gonna think completely differently now about time. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to his father's house. A lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. We're not talking about a house too small to contain a lamb. We're talking about the number of people eating the lamb, okay? And your lamb shall be without blemish. A male, a year old, you may take it from the sheep or the goats. Now, we don't normally talk about the Passover goat. We don't think 1 Corinthians 5 says, Christ, our Passover goat, has been sacrificed for us. But technically, it could have been a goat too. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill the lambs at twilight. And then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lentil of the houses. So you've got the doorpost and you've got the lentil. They shall eat the flesh that night roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs they shall eat it. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt both man and beast and on all the gods of Egypt, and there are many hundreds of gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments, I am the Lord. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. So it's called Passover because the destroying angel passes over the homes of those who feared God and did what the Lord had suggested through Moses. Suggested is way too weak a word. There's so many things we could say here This is really just background. But you'll notice that he expected people to be ready. They shared a meal. This meal was not just a time to eat, it was a time to go over the story. The story of what God had done in the patriarchs, the story of what God would do. And that happens over meals. They're supposed to share. Time to remember, you eat it inside. And interestingly, you know, there are no holidays in early Christianity. Christianity had no Christmas at the beginning, probably had no Easter. But it had Easter before it had anything else, at least by the second century. And what you don't get, unfortunately, because most of you read English and only English, if you read another language, I don't need to say this to you. At least most of the languages in this room, because you would know that Passover and Easter are the same word. Easter just comes from a pagan Uh, word of celebration, uh, like from the Germans. We can blame them. But Pesach is the Hebrew that becomes Pascha in Greek, becomes Pascha in Latin, Pasqua, Pasqua in Italian, Spanish, Pak in French. When I lived in Sweden, it was Posk, Posk, Poskin. But then you have other words, which you've probably read by now. But the point is simply that Passover and Easter are the same word. Now, What are you saying? No candy eggs and we have to celebrate a proper Jewish Passover? No, I'm just telling you, it's the same word. So they're very connected. Jesus' death, resurrection, the Passover, they're all together. And you can get more on this in the little book, Night of Redemption. All right, let's go on. In this manner, we return. Uh, In this manner, he said, you shall eat it, belt fastened, sandals on feet, staff in hand, eat it in haste, and then when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Does that strike you as a bit odd? Okay, let's say you're going out to lunch. Let's say you're going to La Creta, which is very close. and has fantastic Latin food, Central America, great food, but don't all go. And you're there, and you're not even sitting down. Um, your sandals are on your feet. Basically, you're, you're ready for action, and you're even holding the staff in one hand, presumably the left hand, and you're eating really quickly, what would the manager say to you? (laughs) This is not the way we we envision it. Now, we tried to reenact Passover meals as a ministry leader in London. We did this in Sweden too, where we'd have a kind of a modern Passover meal. Oh, not a relaxed event where we're all lounging around, and no, 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 people were mainly standing up. We wore robes. Not bathrobes, but you know, robes like in the biblical sense. Um, and uh, whatever else was helpful, makeup, but we, and we ate bitter herbs, and we got some lamb. Couldn't find any goat. And people thought this was the greatest thing, it helped them to visualize what was actually going on. But this meal involves a certain degree of urgency, and so he says, you shall eat it in haste. You wonder why? I mean, what's the rush? Well, they need to get out of Egypt. They've been there long enough, and God says your redemption is not just drawing nigh. I mean, this is the last meal you're gonna have, it seems, uh, in your present homes, and we're we're gonna be making a move. They're gonna be walking out of Egypt because it's only the 10th plague that fully convinces the Pharaoh, probably Ramses II, to let God's people go. It becomes so personal at that point. And the people go out. And there's an urgency to get out of Egypt. And I wonder how many of us are in Egypt today. Egypt, this place we've been talking about since January. I'm not talking about modern geographical Egypt, but Egypt in the Bible, mentioned more than 800 times. What is that all about? Getting out of Egypt with its funny attitudes towards work. Pharaoh was all about production, make bricks, make more bricks. They didn't have a seven-day week in Egypt. They had a 10-day week. And if you're lucky, you got the 10th day off. And then once a year, you got five days off in the summer. But it's all about maximizing production. If that's all you're about, you may still be in Egypt right now. Egypt, we need to come out of Egypt. I think God calls us out of Egypt. Egypt typically represents the world, not just in later passages, but in Christian theology, in songs, in hymns, the imagery of Egypt. God calls us out with some urgency, out of worldly activities. I'm thinking of 99% of all nightclubs. I'm talking about 50% of all movies. I'm talking about 40% of all songs that have so-called explicit lyrics. Uh, You can make your own list, but God calls us to come out. Actually, he says, come out and be separate. And there's an urgency, because the longer we linger, the more likely we are to take Egypt with us. So wherever we go doesn't really matter. So you're in church, so what? Spending money on ourselves, luxury items, with no thought for the needy, no thought for the things of God. Stop being impressed by fashion, money, power, and athleticism. These things do not count for anything in God's eyes. Your beauty, your quickness, your financial power, your political power, this is nothing. This is nothing in God's eyes. Read the Bible, read the Old Testament, read the New Testament. You're involved in a sexually immoral relationship. You're having sex of some kind with someone who's not your wife or husband. Get out of Egypt. There's an urgency. I I think I'll break it off in a few months. How about tonight? How about this afternoon? Give your heart to God. You never give your heart to God when you're cheating, when you're going against God's word, and you put someone else in the place of God. And no human can fill the place that's rightfully occupied by God. I thought of all these different things. You know, like the last verse in Luke 9, looking back. And, and when we read the books of Exodus and, and Numbers uh, and Deuteronomy, you can see that God's people are often looking back. When the going gets tough, they say, you know, Egypt wasn't so bad. And they're looking back. At least it was kind of predictable. They would treat you like dirt. But you got food. And you look at what they got. It's not really that impressive. But Christians look back to Egypt. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Luke 9.62. Are you looking back to Egypt? Or have you got it arranged so it's the of, best of both worlds? You got one foot in Egypt and one foot in Canaan? Uh, Yeah, and the blood of Christ cleanses me, so I can live that double life with his blessing. Oh, really? Think again. There's an urgency because sin hardens the heart. An urgency to get out. I felt a similar urgency last time I was in Egypt. Some of you were at North River that time. I felt urgency because I was there in the middle of the revolution. I mean, it was very chaotic on the streets. I just got out. I barely made it out on the last flight. Of course, my Egyptian friends all stayed because they're Egyptians. And what blew, me, blew my mind, it was a Sunday morning. I just got back and I get a phone call from, uh, he's actually now the main preacher in uh, our Egyptian churches. His name is Ramses. And Ramses says, we've been praying for you here and in other Middle Eastern countries. Are you okay? I said, well, yeah, totally fine. I mean, how are you? It's your country that's having a revolution right now. The hearts... God looks at the heart. He also looks at other things. I, um, I don't think I've ever been so urgent as I was about two and a half weeks ago. Let's just say, I was supposed to be going to Winnipeg, Canada, I was in Washington. Washington has two airports, three really, but two. I was at Washington National Airport, I got there early, I'm working on lessons, everything's great. Washington, by the way, 71 degrees. When I got to Winnipeg, 20 below zero. It's a little bit of a shift. But I'm, you know how when you get a ticket, there's the boarding time and there's the departure time? Those are actually different times. You can't switch them. But somehow, in my brilliant mind, I switched it. And so I'm thinking, yeah, I'm boarding at 1110. And I think, wait a minute, I look down, That's departure, and it's 11.06 right now. So I'm running, I'm running. You talk about urgent, and I, I can't run. My doctor doesn't let me run, but I ran the best I could. It was probably pretty ugly. And I get to the gate, and it says, final call. Well, I'm kind of thinking, well, final call implies that there's still time to respond, right? On the other hand, there was only one employee there. She scans my pass, and she says, I don't know if you're gonna make it. I run down the jetway. Hoping for an open door, but they 've just closed the door, and I am begging please i 'm a christian speaker i 've got to talk tonight in winnipeg they 're counting on me, please, and I, I got she was shorter than me, so i 'm kind of down i 'm like begging. I think I even said I beg you, please make an exception She's like, No, i' lose my job if I make an exception, so i didn 't push her on that but I really tried, I mean, I tried to be persuasive. I didn't have points or anything, it wasn't structured, but I was begging, begging, begging. And I thought of those foolish virgins who just left it a little too late to get the oil for the lamps. And I didn't deserve to be put on that plane, nor was I put on that plane. (laughs) So I I trudge up the jetway, a lot of spring is out of my step now. But I, I have a thought, I mean, I'm at kayak.com, you know, I'm looking at other options, and and they say, we'll put you on the flight from the other airport, but you'll probably miss it. (laughs) I said, okay, we'll see about that. And I hustle out there, I find a taxi, $75 later, I am... Boarding my flight from the other airport, made my connection, got to Winnipeg. And the point of this is that God loves me, and if I make myself an exception and beg, he'll give me what I want. And for you, you can delay. There's no urgency. Delay till judgment day, because there's probably another way to enjoy the kingdom of God forever. I'm being very tongue-in-cheek here. You see, we kind of think, yeah, sometimes I leave it too late, but I bail it out. I lack the urgency to get out of Egypt, or I've technically left, I've technically even been baptized, but Egypt is still in my heart. But there'll be another way. If it doesn't work out here, it'll work out over there. Yeah, it was dumb luck and grace of God that I made that that other flight. I should have just missed the event entirely. That's what I deserve. And the Bible tells us we will miss it entirely because there's a day when the door will close Like in that parable of the virgins in Matthew 25, like the door that will close in Luke 13, there's an urgency to leave Egypt. Not only that, we need to make the most of our lives. There's an urgency, time is precious. One thing I did in Boston besides enjoy the snow. Where I was staying with my old college friend, uh, same neighborhood, only like a half a mile walk through thick snow. was one of the people I would come there to visit, really to encourage him and to encourage me because I don't think I'll see him again. He's exactly eight years older than me. We had the same birthday. Um, It was in the last century. That's all you need to know here. Okay. But this brother has a debilitating disease. He's so tired now, he can really only make an appointment a day. That is one person a day comes over. For fellowship or to study the Bible because he's studying the Bible with people up to the end. And what he was most interested when we talked was how is so and so doing? How's this person doing? Do you know what's happening over there? Because this man is my spiritual great-grandfather. Now I don't mean to sound sappy, it makes sense. He helped the fellow become a Christian who helped the fellow become a Christian who reached out to me and baptized me. So He takes a certain pride in all the hundreds, maybe thousands, but if not, definitely in the high hundreds, of people who become Christians just within a couple generations of him. And when you know you're going to die, you're looking at life. Did it count? Was there an impact? And all the way to the end, I believe to the very end, he's going to continue to reach out and make the most of his time. He's actually one of the 14 elders up in Boston. His name is Wyndham Shaw. He's a great guy. But there's an urgency, even when you only have strength for a couple hours a day, there's urgency. The world is still lost. Sin is still deceiving the vast majority of the world. And obviously, if you church hop, the vast majority of churches, which don't seem to believe there's any real urgency at all. And if it's urgent to get out of Egypt, then how about wasting time in the wilderness? Are we wasting time? Things are truly urgent, and I mentioned it before. The Israelites do leave Egypt. They're spared the 10th plague because of the blood of the lamb. They go right out through those doors that they had painted with the blood. They end up going through the Red Sea, the Reed Sea, And then, even though, not even going straight, they could have made it to the promised land in 40 days. It takes them 40 years. 40 years of dilly-dallying around. Of course, all of us have times in our lives where we think, I could have done that a lot faster. Why did I have to drag it out? Why did that paper have to take six nights? I did almost all my work on the sixth night. (laughs) You know, we drag things out. I'm not trying to say that you know I'm Mr. Efficient, and you know a lot of you guys you're you're not very disciplined. No, I I need discipline. I make tons of mistakes. I do a lot of things. I make tons of mistakes. But to me, there's an urgency in living the Christian life. It's a daily thing. Yeah, but I'm in Christ. No, no need to worry. Everything's okay. I'm in Christ. Well, yes, and there's a certain security there. But the great men and God, men and women of God. In the bible understand this and there is indeed an urgency don't waste time in the wilderness we focused in on that one little verse exodus 12 11, haste eat your meal in haste not a normal recipe for a good digestion but the passover it was urgent that they not only be ready as soon as possible but be prepared that is they've got their outer clothes on, their sandals, their staff, they're ready to march. They're ready and they are vigilant. As we think about the communion, even if we have left Egypt, even if we have been baptized, we can't just assume that showing up for communion, Eucharist, Mass, is gonna do it. But let's focus on what actually happened there. Blood was taken. Now, the pagans probably would have drunk the blood. Israelites not allowed to do that. No blood and no fat. Take the blood and put it on the lentil and the doorposts, which basically means when the guy went back inside, he came almost into very close contact with the blood. When they had the exodus, they walked out, they would have been reminded of the blood of that innocent lamb right there. There's a parallel just a couple chapters later and that's when they go through the sea. The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground. The water is like a wall to them on their right and on their left, and as Paul explains it, also the waters were above because there was a cloud. Paul says our fathers, he means our spiritual forefathers, were all under the cloud, passed through the sea. So above, left, right, it's like a baptism. And that going through the sea is a kind of baptism. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud in the sea. And yet, as he says, God was not pleased with most of them. But I didn't want to be heavy, not too somber, just medium somber. This is a serious concept. If we want to make it, if we want to achieve the purpose for which God has created us, We need the blood of Christ on one side of us, we need it on the right side of us, we need it above us, just like we need baptism. So I see a spatial correspondence here, a spatial connection. At this time, we will pray. Now this is for the the blood and the, the, the the wine and the bread. And so if you would pray with me, I would be most grateful. Lord, please, as we remember, oh, so often we forget, Lord, as we go out of our homes with the blood of Christ on either side and above us, and really we're in Christ, help us to remember that, to live in his presence with that kind of awareness. We understand that communion gives us a very concrete way of remembering what happened, help us to ponder the Passover and its connection not just with Easter but also with the Lord's Supper. Thank you for Jesus who willingly gave body and blood so that we could be redeemed and help us have an urgency not just to become Christians if we're not but an urgency to leave Egypt truly behind if we've been tempted. Last, help us to know that the clock is ticking and carelessness or just distraction can cause us to miss your way. And we know that Hebrews teaches us there could come a time when no amount of begging and pleading will bring about the change. Help us to be sobered and to act soberly. We thank you for our Lord, amen.